This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within Podcast. Got a pretty special one today. We have Peter Churchborn from the NRA and Josh Wilson from Farmers and Hunters Feeding the Hungry. So I have to admit, Josh, I'm, I've been looking forward to this one for a while, just finding out more about your program and, and um, I guess being a fairly big hunter myself and, and do a lot of dough management, have a lot of meat to, to donate and so forth and, and just looking for, I guess, more, a more efficient way probably to do it than, than how I have it set and, and learning about your, uh, your program as well. So how are you guys doing today? Doing great. Doing great, Mark. Great. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thanks for having us on again, Mark. Yeah, so Josh, I guess let's just let's just uh, I guess start off and and explain about yourself and how you how you kind of got tied together with this program and and how it's grown over the years. Yeah, sure thing, sure thing. So my name's Josh Wilson, and I'm the executive director with Farmers and Hunters Feeding the Hungry, uh, and this is actually a, an organization, a feeding ministry that my dad started about 25 years ago, uh, back in the, the fall of 1997. Uh, we're in, in Western Maryland, uh, which I guess isn't always known as a big hunting state, although we do have uh, plenty of good hunting opportunities from the, the mountains to the farmland and then all the way to the eastern shore with waterfowl and so forth. Um, but yeah, so, so what we do is uh, we help people, we help hunters, uh, give them the opportunity in as many places as possible to donate their harvest to help feed the hungry of their local community. And like I say, my dad started it about 25 years ago. Uh, he believes, and, and we, we say that the Lord called him to this. He had an encounter along the roadside with a woman that was uh, working to load a, a roadkill deer into her trunk. And he stopped to help, uh, helped her do that. She, she took off, and uh, this, this occurred in Virginia. And there was a program there at the time called Hunters for the Hungry that still exists. And, and we got started donating deer to that program after he had that encounter. And uh, so very soon after that, he felt we needed to kind of revamp things here in Maryland. Uh, there was a program that existed prior to us, uh, but the hunters had to pay part of the fee. And I think the state, uh, DNR, kind of maintained it and supported it. 
and they, they pay part of the fee to the butchers. Um, but it, it kind of had, had lagged in some ways and, and just wasn't well known and, and the participation was down. So uh, dad looked to the Virginia program as a model, learned from, from the folks there how to do it, set it up as an organization, a program through our church that first year, raised money uh, to pay a couple of local butchers and basically had as many donated deer here in one Western Maryland County as the other program across the state that the DNR was running had in all the other counties combined. Wow. Uh, so at that point, uh, the state called him up. He thought he was in trouble. They <laughs> called him to a meeting in Annapolis. He thought he'd done something wrong, uh, but he dressed in his best suit and he headed down kind of like uh, Andy Taylor on the Andy Griffith show when he was uh, used to get called to the Capitol and so forth. <laughs> and uh, he, he went and met with those folks and uh, to his, uh, I guess, surprise, I don't know if we'd say shock or, or horror uh, in a sense, they they asked him what he was doing, how he was doing it. He said, well, we raised the money, we're paying the butcher bills, we're, we're a Christian ministry, we're asking the Lord to help and bless it. Uh, he thought they were going to let him go and, and just go back and do his thing, but instead they asked if he would kind of take over the state program that they had going kind of just take it out of their hands and, and roll it into what he was doing and pattern it after Virginia and, and make it a statewide thing. So he did. Um, then it grew. We got attention from some other people in other states that wanted essentially to do the same thing he did and learn from him, just like he learned from Virginia, how they could start. And uh, so that's kind of how it got going. Virginia, they, they never took credit for it either. The, the director there, David Horn, he would say, well, I read an article in a magazine about Hunters for the Hungry in Texas. And so that's where, where I learned about it. And uh, so really there's there's programs all across the country and we can talk more about this, but uh, the opportunities for hunters exist in many places. And, and that's kind of what we're trying to turn some of our attention to now is just making people aware of that, encouraging as much participation as possible and, and also helping the public to see and better understand the good work the hunters are doing. So right now, how many states is your program going in? So we are the, the primary venison donation program in Maryland and in the state of Ohio. And then we have some volunteer participation and, and a scattering of butchers, I would say, across about 12 other states. So, so we're 12 to 15 states where we have activity with those two primary ones, Maryland and Ohio. Uh, and then uh, we have, again, another dozen or so states. So we, we uh, are a part of the, the picture. And what we've come to see is that in the same 25 years and, and even longer in some cases that, that we've been running this program, uh, other programs are functioning in other states. And so altogether, uh, I believe, and, and maybe Peter could correct me if I'm wrong because I know they monitor and try to get this information out to people too. But I think together we've come up with, there are about 40 states that have uh, a fairly significant venison donation program that hunters can participate with. Yeah, that, that sounds about right, Josh. You know, the NRA has is, is, uh, been involved in more of the funding and the advocacy role for this very important program since the probably early 80s. Um, and, you know, back in the early 80s and mid 80s through early um, uh, to, uh, uh, 1990, there 
there was a lot of groups that did this across the country, but they weren't very sophisticated with uh, uh, their internet site. Mm -hmm. So at that time, we had staffing that would be able to help uh, put this stuff on the internet. We had a, if you can just Google right now, NRA Hunters for the Hungry, and you'll come across, I don't know why, but we rise to the top on Hunter for the Hungry sites. But we manage a list, and we try to do the best job we possibly can, is uh, uh, linking back to the state sites. Um, prior to COVID, when we had a little more staffing in that department, we would keep up with all these people and then get their list and put it on our site. Now, the majority of these uh, independent organizations, and Josh is right, there's about 40. Some years there's 37. Some years there's 41. And there's probably ones that we don't even know about that we haven't found out about yet. Actually, I was in Reno last week for a meeting and giving a presentation on this to some people that we were trying to get some money to help fund our, some of our next initiatives on Hunters for the Hungry. And they asked me if they had one in Nevada. And I said, I don't, I don't think so. But they said, no, I think our local Bighorn Sheep chapter does some stuff with it. So they, Josh, we may have a new one to add to the list. Um, but we have been a, an advocacy organization writing articles and being a center of support for the general idea of Hunters for the Hungry. Um, in the past two years, the Hunters Leadership Forum has put set aside $50,000 last year and $60,000 this year to provide the various organizations with funding to help them do the great work that they do. Um, and then Josh and I have been working for a couple of years to try to add some more validity and to add some more uh, attention to the general movement to support to uh, help raise some more awareness and some more money to help them all do the vital work that they do. Hey everyone, I just want to remind you that we've got some important tag deadlines coming up. The Wyoming turkey tag deadline is January 20th and the Wyoming elk is on January 31st. Make sure to give the team at WTA a call and get applied. Oh, that's great. I would, I would say that the the same thing living in Michigan. I know there's, um, I think it's the Michigan sportsman against hunger is, uh, who's, who does it here in Michigan. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's usually majority. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Uh, I think Josh and I, we went, we, we recently just went through a, a revisiting of that list. I spent about a, a couple of months calling every phone number uh, that we had on our own list and then visiting every website to make sure that our website was correctly up to date. And I actually have about eight changes to make on our website right now of people who have changed or new phone numbers or web, web addresses that have come up. Um, so I've, I've actually literally in the next week are going to make those changes to our website. But I think, Josh, didn't we determine there's, there's six of them that are run by the local DNR or Division of Wildlife. And then the rest of them are volunteer 501c3s um, that run their independent group within the state uh, to get processors and then to work with the local food banks to actually get the food distributed. Okay. Let's yes, and, and really on that 501c3 side, you can, you can almost break it down further uh, because... Some are separate organizations like us, and 
you know, farmers and hunters feeding the hungry. Uh, Virginia Hunters for the Hungry is a standalone organization. Arkansas Hunters Feeding the Hungry, and so on. Then from there, there there are several that are run by the State Wildlife Federation. Uh, I think Tennessee and Georgia fall into that category. And then there are a few where the venison program is actually run by the state food bank network. Uh, Texas is in in that camp. So. Yep, you're exactly right. There's there's a number of them where the state DNR or wildlife division runs it, and then the rest are nonprofits, and they kind of break down into those categories. So let's for for any of the listeners that that haven't used this program or that aren't familiar with it, let's let's walk through exactly how it how it works from a hunter's perspective. Um, so let's say I'm I'm in the sure. field and and. I'm doing doe management or, or I'm hunting and I've, I've shot a second deer or even a third deer in some of the states to where I know I'm not going to eat all the meat for my family. What's the, what's the first step then of saying, man, I want to, how can I help? How can I donate, donate this, this deer or, or whatever it is? What, walk us through how that, how that works for a, for a hunter in the field all the way through to how the meat gets distributed. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. So hopefully, and part of what we hope to accomplish, uh, Peter and I and, and our two organizations working together, is to, to make more hunters uh, aware ahead of time that they have this opportunity, this option. So they, you know, they have a deer in the field and they think they want to donate it or they already know. We want them to already have the information. But if they don't, the, the, the secondary goal there would be for them to find the info as quickly and easily as they can. So... At this point, uh, both of us, both Peter and I, you know, Peter mentioned the NRA's Hunters for the Hungry site that has a nice map. You can click on your state and find the right uh, website where you can go for that state's organization to, to hopefully find a butcher near you that they have listed. Uh, we do the same thing on our site, which is feedingthehungry.org. Uh, there's a, a donate meat button right at the top and you go there that page has a map on it that they can search and uh, either find a butcher that participates with us directly or uh, find the link to another state organization like you had mentioned Michigan Sportsman Against Hunger. So once once a hunter is that far in the process they, they've got a deer uh, they've field dressed it, it's legally harvested, they field dressed it, they checked it in with whatever process their state has in place, then they needed to find a butcher to take it to that's participating with, with a venison donation program. Uh, so they can go through their state site or one of our two sites, find hopefully a butcher in their area. Uh, then the process at that point is, is usually pretty straightforward. Uh, you take the deer to that butcher shop, you indicate to the butcher that you want to donate it to the Hunters for the Hungry program there in the state that they participate with. Uh, in most cases, there's going to be a card or a log sheet where you put down your name, your tag number, the date, a few pieces of info like that to help verify that the donation was actually made. Uh, and then for the hunter, you know, that, that's generally it in most cases. Uh, these organizations raise money to pay the butcher, so there usually isn't a fee. There may be a few exceptions to that where uh, a state program that's not completely funded may, may ask the hunter for a copay, or it could be late in the season and the, the program has exhausted its funding and, and the hunter may have to uh, pay the fee if they want to donate. But most of the time, they should be able to donate at no charge. 
so the butcher will take it from there and handle the processing of the meat, packaging it, freezing it. They contact a food bank or a food pantry that they're linked up with through their Hunters for the Hungry program. Those folks come and pick the meat up, uh, use it in their uh, distribution programs. Some of it goes uh, into hot meals like in a soup kitchen or a shelter, so spaghetti, tacos, sandwiches. Uh, others, other meat is distributed through food pantries and food shelves. So families coming in and picking up a weekly or monthly supply of food and, and has the option to get some fresh meat uh, with that. Uh, then at that point, the butcher will take their bill and it might be for five year, 10 year, you know, they, whatever process they want to use, uh, you know, how frequently they want to bill the organization they work with. And they will send that bill in their log sheets to the, uh, the Hunters for the Hungry program, like, like us or the Michigan program, and the bill will be paid. It's usually a discounted rate. Uh, so like in our case, it's about 20% off, so the butchers do give us a break over what they normally charge for the same job for a hunter. Uh, and, and that's it. The organization pays the butcher, and, and that pretty much takes care of it. So all the way from donation on the part of the hunter all the way to the meat making it to the people that need it, and the, the butcher being compensated for their work, uh, and the process just continues from there. Wow. So I, I've, I've jotted down miscellaneous questions here, so I'm, I'm just going to start. Um, how, how do butchers sign up for this program? To, to be just, just knowing my area, just being selfish here, like I know of a couple butchers in the area, but neither of them have signed up to be on this. On this. Is it easy for them to sign up? Yes, I would say so. I mean, the, the situation might vary from state to state a little bit, but it's actually, I guess, kind of similar to what the hunter encounters. If there's a butcher that's interested, they need to figure out what the program is that handles venison donation in their state. Uh, so they would find that, like, again, through our website, uh, feedingthehungry.org, or through the NRA Hunters for the Hungry site. Uh, contact that organization, whether it would be us or one of the other programs, uh, and find out what's involved. And, and each program is going to have its own criteria. Uh, I know for us, most of the butchers that we work with are either USDA inspected or state inspected, depending on what state they're located in. Uh, so these would be places that are they're not uh, only handling deer in the fall, but they're also processing livestock throughout the year uh, and so forth. Uh, but we do also work with some game processors and kind of look at those on a case-by-case -case basis and evaluate their setup and their experience and you know, make sure they have insurance of their own and so forth uh, to just ensure that the places we're working with are going to do a good job and it's going to be a good wholesome food item making it to the food pantries. Um, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And then from there, you know, there's there would be a, a kind of a some states may have a set rate that they pay each butcher per deer or per pound. Some work on a per pound basis for the processing. Uh, again, in our case, we work on uh, like a one-by-one one or case-by-case case basis where we sort of negotiate or work with the processor and base it on their normal price. Uh, we recognize that, you know, in some states, the processing rate average across the state might be fairly uniform. Uh, but in others, and I know here in Maryland, we're one of them, it, it varies widely. We have some places that are well, some parts of the state where the, the price for a hunter might still be $55, $60, $65. And there's other parts of the state where it's now to 
dropping out a hundred or more. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's kind of how it would work. Yeah. It would just be a matter of the butcher getting in touch with, with their medicine donation program and uh, asking about participation. All right. And I know some, one of the questions listeners may be having. So on the States to where this is ran through their DNR program, I assume the, somewhere along the state government it sets aside so much money for this program, then that's how it's paid for the butchers. But in the states that don't have that, like the, the states that you're in that you do it, is it just donation money that you pay for the butchers? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a combination of things. Um, so the ones that are run like a, like a typical nonprofit organization or ministry, uh, we'll do fundraising. So we've, we've got a list of donors that give financially to the organization. Uh, some are monthly donors, some are quarterly, some give once a year. Uh, we have organizations that support us, like Peter mentioned, the Hunters Leadership Forum having funding that is made available in, in a subsidy format to Hunters for the Hungry programs. Uh, we have community foundations that we can write grants to. Uh, sometimes big corporations like Walmart have a foundation side where you can apply through their site and individual stores will determine uh, which uh, organizations they'd like to support. Um, we have some that do events. Uh, we're not quite as big into events as some of the other conservation groups are, like banquets and things like that. Uh, but we have a few that, that have worked on that side of it. And uh, then from there, we, we do have from time to time some support. From, uh, from state DNR or wildlife departments. Uh, for instance, in Maryland this year, our uh, uh, Wildlife and Heritage Service funded a grant of uh, $25,000 to use across the state this hunting season. And the uh, Ohio Division of Wildlife actually just came through in the last couple of weeks with a $25,000 grant for us to use across the state of Ohio. So we want to thank them for that. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's Pretty typical, like like you would see with any other ministry or nonprofit organization, just a whole gamut of different types of, of fundraising and, and donations are tax deductible for those that still itemize on the taxes. You know, sometimes, Mark, you'll, when you buy a license, uh, when you travel in, or in the state that you're in, sometimes at the end of it, they'll ask you to give a uh, you know $2 donation to add yeah. on to and your personal junior license. So we advocate for that. If you, uh, if this time of year, especially around the holiday seasons, hunters, uh, there's usually most of these sites have a way to give to their site five bucks, 10 bucks, something like that. Um, you know, we've talked about this before on this podcast, Mark, is the, the research that the Hunters Leadership Forum did five years ago, and we pr produced that book, How to Talk About Hunting. And one of the best features that we proved research-based that hunters can talk about to non-hunters is the fact that we use and eat the food you know a lot of non-hunters don't recognize how much great renewable resource wild game is in this country and the organic nature of the meat that we provide our families and others and we proved that that is the best thing to tell non-hunters about so this program, Hunters for the Hungry, is like the trifecta for hunters to share the great things that we do for biodiversity, but also that we are using that wonderful God's creation to feed our families and those that need it. Um, it, is, it should be right in every hunter's toolkit 
to be able to talk about um, and then support wherever they live. Hey everybody, I'm a believer in using the best and that's exactly what Gunworks rifles are. They're the best in the market. If you're looking for accuracy and dependability, make sure to go check them out. Get that gun of a lifetime coming your way at gunworks.com. If you guys are looking for the best seat covers on the market, you gotta make sure to check out Rough Tough. I've had them in my truck now going on four years and they are bulletproof. Make sure to check them out, roughtough.com. If you're looking to book the trip of a lifetime, make sure to give the team at WTA a call at 1-800-755-8247 or check out our website, WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com. How has, do you guys have data on how, how has this program done throughout the years? So Josh, you guys have been doing it for, or at least involved in it for 25 years. Has it grown over the 25 years? Like I was... I'm interested to see like just how our society has changed as a whole. Like how is, is this grown over that time? Has it shrunk over that time? Has it grown and shrunk? Like uh, what's your take on it? Right. Right. Yeah. I would say that it, it has reached a point now where uh, there's probably a cycle to it where, where it expands at times, it decreases at times. You know, if you looked at this 25, 30 years ago, like Peter mentioned earlier, when a lot of this was done at grassroots level, uh, I think Safari Club had what they called Sportsmen Against Hunger, and they would encourage their chapter members to get involved, and NRA did some similar kinds of promoting back then. Uh, that would be the, the time that sort of predates all these organizations and organized efforts on a statewide basis from state to state. So... There certainly would be a growth period uh, of a couple of decades as these programs expanded and matured and, and reached across their states. Uh, and then now I would say there's probably an ebb and a flow to the, the totals. Uh, you have some years where harvest numbers are up in a given state, and, and so donation numbers are up. Uh, if harvest numbers are down due to weather or you know we just went through the pandemic, which affected things in a lot of states, uh, sometimes the donation numbers are back down. So it's a product of that side of things and also uh, available funding. If, if programs in a given state, a program has all the money they could use, which usually isn't the case, but if they if they did, then there would be kind of like a, uh, certainly a maximum capacity that they could take in a given year based on the number of butchers participating and how many deer each of those butchers can process and, and so forth. Um, but I would say a good average, the best that we've been able to come up with, uh, is at least 10, I think it's 10 million servings per year through all of these organizations. Uh, there was some uh, uh, compiling of the, the figures that the Shooting Sports Foundation did uh, five to seven years ago. And at that time, uh, they had come up with a figure of like 11 million uh, servings, meal servings of meat that particular season. Uh, so, you know, if you're talking 25, 35 years of these kinds of programs and you're averaging somewhere on the order of 10 million meal servings each uh, season, that's that's a lot of meat. We're talking hundreds of billions of servings now across the country uh, by all these different programs. I mean, that's a tremendous service, public service that the hunters are performing for those in need. Very significant. And you mentioned how, 
you mentioned COVID, obviously. It's how did the program do during during the two years of COVID, two and a half, whatever it is. I think uh, most of the programs, you know, certainly continued on the best that they could. Um, the need was certainly there, uh, but probably the biggest impact that we saw was that uh, you, you probably remember we had that period of time where the grocery store meat counters were empty. Yep, and so in in local areas across the country, butchers that typically would have a, a bustling deer processing business in the fall and winter months uh, were turning away hunters and even programs like ours because if these were locations or are locations that, that also process livestock, they were getting that overflow uh, where people were turning to them, mm. these meat markets and butchers, to get either their own livestock processed or they were buying beef from a local farmer and then, you know, scheduling with the butcher shop to get it cut and packaged. Uh, so there was certainly an impact there. And I think we're still seeing some of those kind of fallout from that even today. I don't know if people turn to the local butchers more. And once, you know, kind of like once we find out something like that's available, sometimes we stick with it as yep. people. So people that maybe were used to just getting bulk pack of whatever they could at the local grocery store or the chain store realized, oh, I can get my meat locally through the through the butcher shop. And maybe it's healthier, maybe it's better quality. And uh, so I think there was sort of a shift there that may not completely uh, recover. But, uh, you know, I think things are, are rebounding this year from what we're seeing. Uh, a lot of those butchers are getting back to, to the gear processing side of things, uh, you know, kind of like yeah. No, I know. So, yeah, it was an interesting, strange period of time. <laughs> no it, doubt. Strange across it was, the board. Yeah, it was a strange period of time. Actually, Josh and I worked on a press release that we put out because I personally, me, right there at the beginning of COVID, I was going out to do a bow hunt uh, not too far from our headquarters in Fairfax, Virginia, where we can harvest a, a, a lot of of does with our with archery equipment and uh, a landowner had asked me to come and help them knock down some of the does that were in this area so i had contacted my uh, preparing to bring you know several in between me and my other hunters and the uh, processor told me no we're not doing it now because we're just so busy processing livestock mm -hmm. so we were worried about that uh uh, having across the country so we put a press release out saying hey hunters if you plan to do this and you've done this in years past you might want to call ahead and that was a good lesson especially for these opportunities right now to speak to your audiences that you know planning is a big part of this you know once you harvest that animal you got a finite number of time to get that to a processor so having that phone number and address ready to go um, is important so those of you who are out there listening and you're you maybe done with your deer season for the year unfortunately next year uh maybe just plan ahead make that call see where where you can go um have that address ready so when you we, we had a program years ago at the nra we called burn a tag for those of us that are fortunate enough to live in states that have multiple opportunities um as in virginia that if you're you're trying to chase something and it's the end of the day and there's a doe that's out there, harvest that doe and bring it to your local 
hunters for the hungry shelter because there are people that will consume it um, and they need it. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Is yeah, yeah. What do you guys yeah. have set forth as as the goals for this program? Like, what's your what's your yearly goal? How do you how do you measure success? What do you what do you set your goal at for five and ten years down the road? Well, you know, as an organization, and I probably speak for most of the venison donation hunters for the hungry programs, the goal in a general sense, is for, for a hunter to never be turned away. If, if they want to donate a deer, number one, that there's a location they can get to that's close to them. Uh-huh. Uh, so I would say the process of recruitment and, and participation is, is one of the goals. So always be working on that and increasing, filling in holes and gaps. Um, and secondly, that, that the funding is in place, that, that they can continue donating uh, all the way through the season. So, you know, things aren't cut off shortages um, so that so that the deer numbers and the meal totals will increase um, again we've had ups and downs as an organization a lot of times driven by funding but sometimes uh, as we talked about due to processor availability um, so that you know as an organization that's our goal to, to increase and, and make sure that everybody can always participate but then on a, on a broader scale or maybe a, a you know, if you kind of zoom back a little bit and look at the country as a whole, I think what, what Peter and I have really been discussing is these these programs, these different organizations, uh, up until now, it's kind of been a fragmented thing. Uh, if I'm a hunter, you know, in one state, say, uh, Arkansas, you know, my process for finding a place to donate looks a little different than it does in New Jersey mm-hmm. uh, or uh, Minnesota. You know, the websites all look different. Um, you can go to one organization site and, and you're on the uh, DNR website or a wild division of wildlife website. And the processor list is a PDF file that you have to find or it's a bullet list right on the page. You go to another site uh, and it's, it's a nice map that you can click on and it's got push pins and locations and you can put your location in and it will tell you in, you know, increasing distance order where your locations around you are. So just, it's really kind of all over the place and it's been that way. So all that just to say that I believe the goal that Peter and I have is to not unify this in the sense that, you know, there's one organization that does it all, but try to give some sense of, of uniformity or at least a, maybe an entry point for people 
that's consistent. So whether that's the uh, NRA Hunters for the Hungry page or our FeedingTheHungry.org site, uh, just a place people can go and find the right information, get to the, the state uh, program website. You know, like Peter said, planning ahead, having that information available, calling ahead. That's a big one. I know we on our site and a lot of the others on their butcher list will say, uh, always smart, especially later in the season, to call ahead to the butcher and just check with them, make sure nothing's changed, make sure their hours haven't changed, make sure they, you know, they're not so busy with uh, firearm season deer that they're not taking donations for a couple days, whatever it might be. Just avoid surprises by, by calling ahead. Um, but the other side to all this is, I think what we want to work towards is really twofold. We'd like to see and, and help promote a greater sense of networking between the organizations and among the organizations across the country. And I believe there's a hunger for that in talking to the uh, directors of some of the organizations, the DNR employees that are charged in some states with running the Hunters for the Hungry program there. Uh, I think, you know, when we make contact and, and they hear who we are and what we do and that we just want to learn about their program and get better exposure to their program, figure out ways we can help, uh, I've, I've sensed a great openness on the part of, of many of these folks. And they like they like that concept of networking. And there are some that have actually been working on it for a few years, even in the form of a kind of like an annual gathering of venison programs. And so, you know, we'd like to see that continue and see what we can do to help continue promoting that. And then on the, the flip, the other side of the coin, there's like Peter mentioned earlier, there's the whole idea of education and advocacy. And I think we can do our two organizations uh, could do a lot to give greater and more consistent exposure to Hunters for the Hungry and, and the various programs that, that make up this movement. We'd like to engage with the industry where we can, with the various companies and organizations. Um, you know, just like hunters have had sort of a fragmented uh, uh, situation with all the different organizations to look at across the country. If you're a, a company in the industry that would like to say, hey, we support venison donation for the hungry because we know how important it is to meet these needs. We know how important it is for the public to see what, what hunters can do and all the good work that they do to have that opportunity in place. So we support that. Uh, we help make people aware of it. We, we, help, we want to help fund it, uh, as it were. Well, up until now, how do you do that? You know, do you, do you look at your state organization, but then you say, well, but we're really a national company, or in some cases, international. Uh, so we'd like it to be broader than just our state. But how, how do you do that? So I think we could work together to make this an annual thing where, where there's like a campaign, basically. And, and we sort of did that as Farmers and Hunters Speaking Hungry this fall with what we call the Hunt Down Hunger Campaign. Uh, so we did two news releases, one before Thanksgiving and one in early December, uh, essentially just going through a lot of the stuff we just discussed here in the last uh, 40 minutes or so and putting the information together and, and linking people back to our site, to a landing page where they can find and learn more, uh, find out where they can donate. So it's all about encouraging hunters to be aware of and to participate in the programs and helping the public see that these programs exist. And so that's something we want to continue, uh, hunt down hunger as a campaign year in and year out and build one so that it's an awareness thing, 
Maybe it turns into the opportunity to raise funds for the various organizations. Uh, so that's something we want to build on. Oh, that's great. Exactly. Uh, I ditto everything. <laughs> yes. And Peter, it sounds like the NRA has been involved in this for for a long time as well, right? Yeah, we, we've been involved for, from the side of just uh, trying to build awareness for the local groups, uh, pushing people from our uh, website to their website, um, and then funding. You know, they're, they're, before the past two years, when HLF dedicated that money, our friends of the uh, friends groups, the, the state-based organizations, have been supporting this financially for a long time. Um, that's up to the individual states to get applications from their local state hunger group. But I know that, that those groups have been funding those other groups for a long time. So, yes, we are big advocates and supporters of this movement. Uh, we thank all the local volunteers um, that run these programs nobody's getting rich off of hunters for the hungry out there in the world. Um, these are, these are hardworking, dedicated volunteers, um, that are giving their own time and, and most of the time their own money to make these programs successful. So we're so appreciative for everything that you do because it's working. Um, we know again, back to the research, that project that we did, that, that this is the best thing that hunters can talk about. So for all you out there that's listening, that are working in a Hunters for the Hungry local group, thank you for everything that you do. You're, you're making us look good. Now, for everybody that's out there listening as well, I mean, obviously, what else can people do to help? I mean, if if they have an extra deer and they go through the process, that's that's one way. But how else can people volunteer and help? And, and even maybe not volunteer, but but say like in my area here in Michigan, I know I've got, I would have to drive. It's about two hours for me to get to a processor that is, is signed up for this, but I know there's a handful of, of butchers in my area. Like what, what could I do as an individual to, to, to give them information to maybe sign up for it as well? You know, if, if you're really motivated, I'm actually, we have a great little story right now that we're going to write an article about uh, for our magazines at our HLF website. We actually had one of our employees up in um, northwestern Ohio, um, a friends of, uh, NRA Friends employee that was passionate about this and wanted to get involved. And there wasn't a local group that did it in that area. So I hooked him up with Josh. And he ran down the trap line of getting his local processor to be able to get the right insurance that he needed. It, it helped him do that. And then went through the, the paperwork to get him involved with Josh's organization. Um, and now they actually have got all that done. Um, we actually put some funding together to help that processor get the deer uh, processed and then he just last week, he told me when I was, I was traveling out in Reno that, hey, my group just dropped off five deer at the processor. So it came full circle. Um, so if you don't have something in their area, um, contact your local group. If you don't have one, contact Josh or I, mm -hmm. and we can help you go down that path of either starting a state organization or getting you hooked up with your local state organization to get your local processors involved. And 
if that can't be done, money. <laughs> you can always donate to your local state cause. So you can find them on the website, our website, or Josh's website, Googling NRA, Hunters for the Hungry, navigating down to your local state and make a $25 donation. It will go a long way in helping them complete their mission. No, oh, that's awesome. Right. All, all great, yeah. all great ways yeah. to help too. Yeah. Yeah. Asking questions, you know, like that, that's it. You're, you're a hunter, you're in an area where you don't think this is happening and you, you check online and you verify. Yeah. We don't have a butcher within an hour, two hours of us. Ask questions. You, you know, processors talk to them. Hey, have you ever, have you ever been part of a hunters for the hungry program here in the state? Uh, has it ever been in our area? And if they say, Yes. Well, why aren't you participating now? And maybe you'll uncover uh, some things, some some issues that came up that could be overcome now, and mm -hmm. and these folks could get back on board. Or maybe you'll find that they say, well, no, I had no idea, or we've never had it that I'm aware of in our in our area. Okay, so then contact the state organization, you know, uh, whether it's Virginia, Texas, wherever. Get back on that website, contact them by phone or email, and ask questions. Hey, I'm in, in this county. And I don't think we've ever had any participation with the program here. And I just talked to, you know, Joe the Butcher, and, and he, he's not aware of it either. Ask questions. Make connections. That, that's how a lot of times things get started. Oh, that's great. I've got a couple I'm going to reach out to in my area just just because I always looked at this program and, and not having all the information on it from what you guys have shared before of be a man. It would be great if I had somebody in my area to do this one because I know it goes to a good cause but two just because I know it's so easy for hunters then to say um our area in Michigan we've got a lot of does we've got way way too many does just like a lot of parts of the world um but a lot of people won't go out there and and, and harvest the does because they're they know their their freezers are full already their the meat's not going to go to use so that it, they're not going out there to harvest them, but with a program like this set up, I think you'd see that kind of flip a switch too, um, and see a lot more of those does harvested that that truthfully in our area probably probably need to be harvested. You bet, right? Yeah. No, that's great. Well, guys, thank you. What what we miss today? I think we. I think well, we I feel did. like we've covered a lot. No, I, I listen. I learned way more today than what I what I thought I was going to learn. I, I also think Peter, I'll, I'll uh, follow up with you too. I think there's some ways that WTA can help here as well. Um, just kind of getting the getting the word out about the programs more to our avenues that that I think we could probably help as well. Yeah, I guess the only thing that comes to mind for me is you know we've talked about the hunter side, the donating side, how we can give, how we can get involved with programs. Uh, but there may be folks out there that listening that, that have the question, well, you know, we live in the United States of America. Are there really people, that many people that need help? And sure, we're, we're not uh, in a situation in our country, usually, like we see sometimes in other places around the world. We are very blessed as a nation. But among us, there are those that, that still struggle. Mm -hmm. They struggle to, to put enough food on the table week in and week out. For their them and their kids, uh, right now, you know, on on uh, the National Food Bank Network website, uh, they're showing that there's about uh, just under 12 percent of of the people in our country that struggle to meet the nutrition needs for themselves and their families uh, each day, each week, throughout the month. 
so there is there is a need and you know you bring that down to the local level i remember a story from a local uh, school uh, assistant principal here in our area that said hey, this young man in the lunchroom that as he ate his lunch the food went everywhere it was all over himself the table it was on the floor i had to stop several times and say you got to clean up your act it's buddy you can't do this but you know day day in day out uh when i come back around you better be eating like everybody else this isn't you know a, a big draw uh -huh. and uh comes back around and it's still a mess he says all right i need you to go to the office we're going to talk after lunch he goes in and talk to him and, and says, Billy, I'm making up a name, of course. Billy, what's going on here? He said, well, sir, I'm really sorry, but I'm hungry. He said, Billy, I'm hungry, too. I watched three lunch shifts before I sit down each day to my lunch. That's a late lunch for me. I'm hungry, too. Better come up with something better than that. Billy says, well, I'm sorry, sir. I don't know what to tell you other than last night wasn't my turn to eat. And right then and there, the whole picture changed. And, and our friendly assistant principal realized this isn't a behavior issue. Mm -hmm. This is a hunger problem with this family. And it's right under our noses, I guess, is the point of this that story. Uh, we, we aren't always aware. It's not always as extreme as what we see on TV from other countries. And when we see the folks in front of the, the shopping center that are destitute and, and, and begging for, for you know, sustenance for that day, we're talking families, working families, that uh, the parents are working a couple jobs and they're still not making ends meet, especially in, in this inflation-driven economy that we're in. Mm -hmm. I know one of our volunteers in Indiana uh, said her future daughter-in-law told her just a few weeks ago, hey, I, I work uh, at the credit union. I'm a loan officer. We have people coming in getting loans today that need loans to put gas in the car, loans to go do their grocery shopping. We're not talking loans to get a car or a boat or a house. People are getting loans right now just to put food on the table and prescriptions in the cupboard. Uh, so the need is, is real, and it is all around us. It's right under our noses and our own communities. And it's all about just doing what we can do. You know, God has asked us to, he says, those that, that are blessed, that, that I'm providing for, turn around and help someone else meet the needs of a, of a hungry neighbor. You know, I'll go all the way back to talking about my dad along the roadside with the lady in the roadkill. Come full circle here. God put into his heart the scripture where Jesus said, when you have helped the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it to me. And dad just couldn't shake that, that feeling that, God, what are you asking me to do? And that's what led him to, to start his program, our program. And I'm sure the, the uh, experiences of others that have started their programs are, are similar in many ways. No, that's great. I mean, this whole program, it does. It, it's one of the. It's one of those odd ones that really makes sense. Three hundred and sixty from from the hunter's perspective to the ultimate one of where the meat's going at the end. You bet. Well, guys, thank you, Peter. Thanks for for making the connection between Josh and myself. Um, this is a good one, and, and Peter, I'll offline with you as well on, on ways WTA can help as well. Sounds great. Your uh, WTA is a great supporter of all things hunting. Uh, we appreciate what you do. Thank you, Josh, and it was great meeting you as well. Yep, yep. You too, Mark and, and Peter. Thanks, and it was great talking with both of you. And I look forward to seeing how this continues to grow and develop, so that we can, in turn, bless even more people and help the hunters to continue this important work. 
Thank you everyone out there for all the support and downloads. Don't forget, go leave a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. That always helps. Also, if you're looking to book the hunt of a lifetime, go visit WTA at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com or give the team a call in the office at 1-800-755-8247.